podcast with your host, Jake Weaver, engineered by Cedric Swan. Hey, everybody, we're back with another episode of Midnight on Earth. I'm your host, Jake Weaver, and we're here to give you more knowledge, more light, and more love. Modified that from my previous episodes. We're still evolving. All of us are still evolving. This podcast is still evolving. So you'll notice little changes, little switches. I, 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 it's all organic. It's from the ground up. And in a way, it's stream of consciousness. It's coming directly from consciousness. So here we are, another episode of Midnight on Earth. Today, we have an incredible episode, incredible episode. We're going to be listening to a fantastic lecture from the one and only Manly P. Hall. Lecture is titled, Love Your Enemies. This is... uh, Something that seems to be going on in culture right now. There's a lot of tension. There's a lot of various things happening energetically. We're all about the vibration of love at this podcast. Midnight on Earth is here to raise your frequency. Raise your vibration. All of us together, me, you, everybody listening. We want to make this world a better place. And that requires us to maintain a high frequency. I know it's hard. I know things are tense. I know things can be a little tricky sometimes, but it's up to us as conscious spiritual beings to maintain that high frequency at all times. I'm also here with the one and only Bryn Anderson from Vital Force Herbs. Hello, Bryn. Hi, everybody. I'm so glad you're here. She has been so generous with her time. She's been joining us when we have an episode where we're listening to a lecture versus having a guest. I did the first couple episodes like that with just me, you, and the lecturer, a recording. But the last few times, Bryn has joined us so graciously. And she really adds a lot to... The experience. We get to talk to each other. We have a great rapport. We're listening to this lecture. We come back after the lecture. We still have that great rapport and we talk about what we learned. It's pretty awesome. So you're doing pretty well, Brynn? You doing all right? Yeah, definitely. I'm doing great. Okay. So before, now that you know Brynn's here, before (laughs) we do anything else, I have to just ask you to do a few things for me. First, I need you to follow me. On Instagram, at midnight underscore on underscore earth. That is the address. Go there. Follow us on Instagram. The more followers we have, we pop up in different spots in the algorithm. I don't know how that works, but it works a certain way. And the more people that follow us, the more our voice gets out there, the more the voice of all the incredible guests that we've had on gets out there and we build it together and you know that you were a part of it. Follow us on Instagram. We're on Spotify. 
Follow us there if you're a Spotify listener. Wherever you listen to your podcast, whatever platform, if there is a follow button, a like, share, you know, feel free to share, but also follow us and like us and do all that stuff for me. And as I always say, the most important thing is please, please, please tell a friend, tell a friend that you know that loves intelligent topics, that loves engaging podcasts, that loves entertainment on top of all of that. You know they're out there. They're your friends. You know them well. Tell them about this podcast, midnightonearth.com. Okay, so now that we have that done, the work that we need to do, we have to do that. We have to do that to I get it out there. I just told a friend yesterday. Thank you, Brent. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> we have to do it. It's part of promotion. It's normal marketing. It's normal promotion in order to get our voice out there in a sea of podcasts, in a ocean of humanity, planet of humanity. I need your help. So I want to say a few things right now because it seems like there's a lot of tension in the world. There's a lot of division. There's a lot of polarity. And within that polarity comes this idea of dehumanization because when you get polarized, you tend to see the other side of the polarization as the enemy. Forgetting the fact that they're your human brother or sister. And in fact, we're just light beings. So they're light beings with you in that vehicle called the human body. Our job, as I said at the beginning of our, this podcast, is to maintain a high frequency to maintain a positive attitude, to do your best to love each other all the time. Because if you allow yourself to slip into a negative vibration, you become a lesser being. You start closing yourself off to some of the information that's around you that's coming from probably higher dimensions because you're, going, you're becoming more dense. You're densifying yourself by resonating with lower frequencies. It's not really a good practice. I don't recommend it, but I see so many people, so many incredible loving people now currently sinking into negative frequencies. So I'm here to remind everyone out there, whoever is listening to this episode, whether it's around the time it was recorded or maybe it's months or even years later. I'm sure the information is still applicable. So I'm here to remind you of a few things. I'm going to tell you something that uh, one of my friends told me. His name's Jesus, okay? <laughs> I call him my friend because I feel him around me. I'm not a Christian, but I love the Jesus story. I try to be Christ-like if you think about the, the suffix T-I-A-N, which means like like. So if you're a Christian, you're Christ-like. So in a way, yes, I would love to be more Christ-like. So I talk about Jesus. I think he's a, a really, I do believe Jesus existed. 
I know that there's a lot of pagan mythology and various cultural mythologies that got tacked on to the Jesus story as it evolved over the millennia. But the truth of the Jesus experience is very valid and very real. So I just want to remind you of this thing called the 11th commandment. So we know the 10 commandments. The 10 commandments, which were given to us by the wonderful Judaic culture and the incredible person Moses. I, I know I just said I was going to talk about Jesus, but I guess I had to back up to give it a little context. Here, real quick, here's one translation of the Judaic Ten Commandments. Number one, you, should, you shall have no other gods before me. Okay. She'll make no idols. Number two. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Number four, keep the Sabbath day holy. Number five, honor your father and your mother. Number six, you shall not murder. So, you know, a lot of people say, thou shall not kill, if you're thinking of the King James Version. So you, you never want to project any kind of murderous thoughts toward your fellow man, just for people out there that are feeling in conflict right now. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Number eight, you shall not steal. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Simplified, don't lie. <laughs> <laughs> Number 10, you shall not covet. We're, we don't like coveting. We already talked about that. So, okay. So just to give that a little context, now we go into my friend, Jesus's 11th commandment. Even if you're a Christian, you may not realize that Jesus did put out an 11th commandment. I'm going to read it to you. It's John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you also must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you will love one another. Okay, so if you're, now, now let's dissect this a little bit, just a little bit. If you're resonating with the Christ consciousness, if you're resonating with pure love and you want to evolve the human race and you want to evolve the entire universe to be more resonant with God, the creator, whatever that is, the great mystery, but it is love, then you're going to love one another. You're not thinking about killing them. You're not thinking about hurting them. You're trying to put your perspective through a compassionate filter and have understanding. See, there's this guy, Teek Not Han. You read the book, Being Peace, he'll, he talks about love, compassion, and understanding. Every single person was the Christ consciousness when they were born. They were just a little baby, raw, pure consciousness. Through circumstances and events, it led them to a life that caused them to do things that people would consider evil or wrong. But you don't know the circumstances that that person experienced that damaged them in such a way to make them ruined. You take time out of the equation 
And that being is still the original Christ consciousness and the positive and negative fruits of their life. But at the very beginning was still that original Christ consciousness, raw consciousness baby. And you talk about spiritual midwifery with Ina May Gaskin. She'll talk about that. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, not taking a breath here. It's okay. okay. I just have to so, say yay when you say Ina May Gaskin. She's okay, so let, now, now let's move on to... Buddha, because I feel like everyone just needs a little reminder of this because there's so, such aggression, there's such anger in the world because of various factions, various factors. But here's Buddha. Am I another one of my friends? I love Buddha. Here he is. Love the whole world as a mother loves her only child. Radiate boundless love towards the entire world, above, below, and across, unhindered, without ill will, without anemone, anemone, <laughs> or whatever, enmity, enmity, e n m i t y. It's a hard word. You get it. It's a hard word to pronounce. That's a great. And quote. of course, I, and I'm going to wrap this up. All these reminders to stay in that love frequency, the love vibration. Be a wonderful, shining example of the human race all day, every day. Even if you mess up, as soon as you mess up, get right back on that horse of love and consciousness. Here's another one of my good friends. I haven't met him yet. He's still alive, still in this century. If I met him, I'm sure he'd be my friend. His name's Morgan Freeman. Imagine what 7 billion humans, probably up to 10, could accomplish if we all loved and respected each other. Ooh. Do you see... So you allow yourself to sink into a negative vibration? Are you manifesting heaven on earth? Are you doing your best to make sure that the collective frequency is moving towards something more harmonious and resonant with the divine? Or are you using your negative energy and your negative thinking to pull down the collective to lower our frequency into a dense, conflict-ridden state of chaos? I want you to think about that. Bryn, you notice a little bit of my intensity. What do you think about all that? You get to witness, you get to witness raw, unbridled, midnight on earth. I'm feeling a little fired up just noticing what so many conscious, cool, and loving people happen to be putting out there into the universe, on the internet, and all these other places. I think it's great, and I think it's really important. I think we need to be careful as we get wrapped up into things and like you said when people get polarized and we get really passionate about something sometimes that's when the blinders come on and you forget that we are all light beings and that we are all here to you know be together on earth and to bring up the vibration and to perform our service and to love each other and imagine what we could do if we all loved each other and that's all of us but except those people no there's no exception it's um, it's difficult, and uh, walking the walk and talking the talk are definitely uh, difficult things to match up, but I have faith we can do it. I think we can, too. I, I have absolute faith in the human race. Because we're made on a divinity and powered by divinity, I have absolute faith in the human race, though some people that are afraid of the divine would like to subjugate the human race for their own material fear and survival issues. 
feel like they're not going to be able to survive because they're not connected to the divine. So if they don't have control over material resources in the world, then they're going to die. And that's scary for them because they don't know God. But we know God. We know love. We know community. We know family. We don't need to cave into that fear. We are the ambassadors of love, light, hope, and consciousness. Yes, indeed, we are. <laughs> Good okay. reminder today, Jake. Thank you. I want all you people out there around the world to remember this because it's our duty, it's our responsibility. It's up to us, specifically you, me. It's up to us. It's up to you listening. Whatever country, I just, I'm proud to say we're up to 26 countries now. Midnight on Earth is up to 26 countries. If you're nice. listening, the thousands of listeners are 26 countries. If you are listening to this, it is up to you to keep the vibration of humanity high, to help save us, to help make this world the heaven on Earth that it needs to be. Like Manly P. Hollis in the past, the new Atlantis. It's going to happen, but we have to do the work. And the work requires discipline and being able to maintain. Amen, Jake. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, it's so true. It's a responsibility, but it's, it's a, if you're aware of it, it is then becomes your duty to maintain it and to spread it and, uh, yeah, keep us all but, going. Like I said, I, you, some intense words, but I just want you to know, you know if you fall off the horse found yourself slipping into negative frequencies, negative thinking, negative vibration, just get right back on that horse of love, that love horse, and raise your vibration. It's okay. Just get back on the horse. Let's get back to doing the good work. Sounds good. <laughs> okay, so on that note, I have a very... When will um, ambassador buttons be available on your website? <laughs> I'm not sure, but so sometime soon. You will get a, a ambassador of love and light on our merch section. I want one of those. It's coming. It's okay. coming. Um, but this is a very timely and topical lecture by Mr. Manly P. Hall, the incredible Manly P. Hall, uh, a man who really needs no introduction. But if you do need a little bit of introduction, he's an incredible writer, incredible lecturer. He founded the Philosophical Research Society uh, in the mid-1900s incredible esotericist, incredible metaphysician, absolute genius. Every one of his lectures, of the 7,000 lectures he's given, is jam-packed with the best information. The way he digests, processes, disseminates, and then shares information is very unique and powerful. And very similar to people like Michio Kaku, who can explain really powerful, complicated things in a very kind of digestible way. So... We're going to go ahead and start this lecture from Mr. Manly P. Hall. It's called Love Your Enemies. I'm going to have to ask you to be a little patient with me this morning. I'm fighting a bad case of flu, but uh, we hope that it'll work out all right. This morning we are dealing with one of the basic realities of life. We are celebrating the most important event in the development of the Christian faith. We are accepting the resurrection of Jesus Christ as a spiritual reality. 
and as a proof of an omnipotence beyond all mortal control and directive by which the individual can become closer in his understanding of God, life, love, and his own faith. Actually, as Abraham Lincoln pointed out, the Bible is not only a great inspirational book for most people, it is also the most important book for the government of nations. It is a great document of administrative policy in all parts of the world. Now, this may have been generally overlooked, and it has been ignored for centuries. But the truth of the matter remains that the teachings in the Sermon on the Mount, the teachings at the Last Supper of Jesus, and the various sermons and talks that he gave along the roadway of Galilee, these are without question the most important foundations for an enduring society, individual or collective, personal or international. Today, over two billion persons are in one way or another celebrating this day, and probably a half a billion more of other faiths, but sympathetic to the ideas and message, are joining in this ceremony. This ceremony of two billion dedicated persons arises from the life and teachings and labors of the man who said, we are all brothers, love one another. Now, the Christian faith has done just about everything it can do to promulgate or distribute the realization of it. But neither the faith nor its followers have been able to establish a culture based upon mutual respect, mutual kindness, mutual charity, and mutual love. A great teaching of cooperation is overshadowed by a vast world of competition. The good of the other person is now very secondary to the advancement of our own objectives. The human being is no longer his brother's friend. He is no longer supporting those around him in principles and integrities. He is placing profits above principles. And in so doing, and by this simple act, he has broken the law of God, Christ, and man. And as a result of that, we've had 5,000 years of misery due largely to the fact that the human being simply does not have the strength of character to keep the rules that keep the peace. Now, the only law behind this that we can really feel or understand is something within ourselves. For long times, we have been trying to find definitions for the word love. There are thousands of definitions, religious, sociological, theological, philosophical, and even scientific. We have been trying to find out what love is. But we will never find it by trying to get a definition out of a book or something of that kind. The only way that honest, simple, genuine love can be transmitted is by experience by the absolute fact of itself. Van Dyck and the other wise man summed it up rather beautifully in the words that who names it 
shall never find it but who finds it will never need to name it love is an experience of consciousness an experience in the soul of man it is something that is a great releasing power against the tyranny of personal attitudes it is placing something bigger than yourself in the foreground of your life it is dedicating to your acts to projects to purposes to convictions that are of common good to all mankind love therefore suffereth long as in, and is kind but today the average individual is not interested in suffering long for anything and he is not too careful with his kindness if it is contrary to his objectives of the moment that we have come so far suffered so long endured so many wars and never discovered kindness in the relationships of nations is unbelievable and it is still more unbelievable that millions of good people kindly well-intentioned well-purposed in life still have their hates their fears their doubts their prejudices and all the negative attitudes and opinions which separate humanity therefore it seems that this morning when we celebrate the resurrection of the Prince of Peace that there is something that we should all think about rather carefully and that is to find out whether in our own lives we are able to actually practice a few of the simple admonitions <coughs> which we have received from Christ are we able to be kind to each other are we able to forgive our enemies are we able to do good to those who despitefully use us are we willing to continue quietly in a meek way of life are we interested in the simple humilities of virtue do we want a happiness that arises from making others happy rather than sacrificing them to our happiness do we want a happy home are we willing to support it by character by integrities are we willing to keep the rules by means of which we can keep the world in order now the idea of love is not a new one but on through the ages it has passed through innumerable definitions and it has been mixed up with a great many other emotions and attitudes uh, love is not just a single thing it is not something that is born full-blown from the unknown and the invisible love is the gradual maturing of a whole circle and cycle of attitudes love is the individual gradually growing up true love is impossible to the immature the individual who has no self-discipline has no consecrations greater than his own interests can never truly love anything and if he tries to love something he will end up only loving himself which is the most dangerous of all pursuits so to have a true understanding of love the individual must grow he must not only outgrow selfishness and self-will but he must also go above and beyond what might be turned the pressures of society upon his life he has to be an individual he has to live his principles whether others do or not nations must do the same the individual cannot love until he has achieved a kind of psychic or emotional maturity 
Love is an, a mature emotion. It is not the mysterious bubbling of adolescence. It is a deep, lasting, enduring dedication. Love is not merely staying with it till it hurts and then walking out on it. Love is not merely getting into various emotional situations for profit, for gain, for social standing. There can be no selfishness and no self-centeredness in true affection. Also, love cannot be bought, bartered, or sold. Lot can, love can never be tempted into existence by luxuries, by social advantages. It remains as it has always been, basically, the purest of all human emotions. And if it becomes adulterated or becomes uh, defiled, it is one of the most terrible adversities with which we must struggle in our course of, of existence. An example of this point, I think, I probably have told you before, but maybe long ago. I knew a young man who grew up in a small family, and he had a sister. And when this sister was about 15 years old, she was stricken with polio. And from that time, she never walked again. This young man made himself, so to say, her constant attendant. He protected her in every way possible, sacrificed every sport and pleasure that would normally have been his because of his great admiration and devotion for his sister, whom he deeply loved. After about 15 years of this relationship, the, the sister died, and the young man was left to start out on an individual life of his own. What did he do? He married a very wonderful girl who had been paralyzed at birth and spent the rest of his life taking care of her. He wanted something to serve. He did not want people to serve him. He did not necessarily want to be loved, but he wanted to love with everything that he had. He wanted to dedicate his life to making somebody happy. And no education he could have secured elsewhere, no degree in science, philosophy, or religion could have given him the wealth of life and the tremendous internal growth that the simple devotion to the need of others resulted in him possessing. And finally, the wife also passed on after about 30 years. And someone said to him, John, I don't know how you did it. You had to get, get her up and down every day. You had to carry her. You had to come home from your work every noon and cook her lunch. She could do nothing. You had to watch her all night. For 30 years, it must have been a terrible strain on you. Well, he said, it's no strain at all. I loved her. Now, this is the kind of love the world hasn't got anymore. But this is the kind of love we have to have in politics. We have to have it everywhere. Or our civilization is simply going to pieces. It is necessary for the integrities in ourselves to save us. We must bring our own wisdom and our own insight to bear upon the problems of daily living. We have long worshipped by attending places of religious gathering, 
We have been baptized. We have taken communion. We have gone through certain sacraments, particularly in the Protestant communion, the sacrament of marriage. We have done all these things in the name of religion, in the name of a spiritual reality. I know years ago I performed a great many marriage ceremonies, and uh, several times the young women particularly came to me beforehand and they said, we need something. We could go to a justice of the peace, or we could go to some orthodox source and have a traditional wedding. But to make a marriage a success, we have to remember something. We have to have felt within ourselves a dedication, a responsibility. We needed the, the will of God to move us down through the years or we could not make it. We had to have something beautiful to think about when the, when the going got rough. And so nearly always, those who were really anxious in having a true marriage wanted some type of religious experience in connection with it. They wanted the blessing of heaven upon themselves and their futures. They wanted the blessing of heaven upon their children when they came. And they wanted to grow old and quiet together under a blessed attachment which had been strengthened by a moral dedication. So in these days, we can go back to the Kfaroahna Aknatan, 1100 years before the beginning of the Christian era, and we can see this frail, sickly man who died of a broken heart. We can see him attempting to convey to Egypt the idea that humanity is a family, that everything about mankind is part of a family pattern in which all the members of the family are mutually desirous of contributing to the happiness of each other. While the pharaohs of Egypt had their stone statues along the banks of the Nile or on the arches of their great gateways, Akhenaten told them that when they pictured him, he was to be pictured with his arm around his wife, and also his children must be playing at his feet. Because, he said, I am a ruler of a people, but my people is a family. And my love for my people is simply the extension of the natural fact that love binds all things together in something stronger than any physical ties that can be made. His love destroyed him. His enemies could not understand it. And yet he remains to this day as probably the first enlightened individual recorded in history. Also, when he was uh, holding audience at court, and the time came for his wife to speak up, or to be involved in the discussions, which they usually were in Egypt, he would always refer to her, he would say to the people, this is Nefertiti, my other self. And all through life, this peculiar tenderness marked a truly great person whom the world now begins to recognize. 
On the other end of the long line is Mohandas Gandhi, who's always been a kind of prophet in our thinking. On one occasion, Gandhi said, this world will never know peace until all peoples are bound together with nothing stronger than the single silken thread of love. Love alone can do it. And today we honor one who we love and we believe we want to serve. But if we really want to serve, we do it not primarily by going to church or primarily by the daily Bible reading or by any of these things or by having sacred pictures on the walls of our houses. The real service, the real message comes in mutual conduct, one with the other. We have to outgrow something between our love principle in our souls and its expression in life is a strange personality equation full of self-centeredness, full of false ambitions, full of prejudices and tyrannies and intemperances and intolerances. This personality, which we like to cater to forever, is not only a personality that brings tragedy to ourselves, but the compound of this personality has resulted in over 8,000 wars in the course of history. That is rather too many. And many of these wars have been fought to defend peace, <coughs> but they never succeeded. We have fought also about religion and about the very brotherhood which we need so desperately. And yet, after it's all said and done, and we look around ourselves and we say, well, what can we do about it? It's, it's truly a terrible situation. And if it continues as it is, it'll be a fatal situation. Fatal in the sense, not that the world will be destroyed or that humanity will be destroyed, but that thousands of years of consecrated effort will come to nothing if we do not take on the responsibility of mature relationships with each other. It is no longer possible to think of love merely as a physical attraction. And in spite of the literature to the contrary, in spite of the fact practically all our entertainment is based upon a frothy type of human relationships, none of this is going to do very much to protect us in time of trouble. The thing that protects us is the long-wearing virtue of integrities. Now, in order to love, you have to have the strength to do it. And strength is something that is also being generally sacrificed. We are not being strong these days. We're leaning on every support that society can produce. We can't make our own living, we can't find our own jobs, and we haven't sense enough to save a few dollars when we need them. We have no self-discipline, and therefore we are dependent upon a continuing expansion of social privileges, and the more we get for nothing, the less we're going to earn. We are not interested in taking hold of our lives, or our nations, or our world, and putting it back on its feet. And no matter how much we pay for legislators to do it, 
they will not do it unless they have a greater insight than ourselves. And for the most part, this is not true. So, we have to get to work and do some of these things. Sort out the things in yourself that you have mistaken as sources of comfort, pleasure, or security to you. Find out why there is a certain strange fascination in hurting other people. Try to find out why sarcasm is a comforting type of emotion when we should be weeding it out with every moment of our effort. Why brag should bragging continue, intolerance, competition, the desperate search of fame, even if it means we have to tear down the reputations of other people? Why do we nurse these things? And if we do nurse them, how can we call ourselves Christians? Christianity is not a conversion to a faith and then keep on living as you did before. And to most people, a conversion by modern methods usually lasts about one year. I, uh, I spent an afternoon with a group of elderly clergymen who had been in the missionary field long ago. And uh, I asked one of them, I said, how do these conversions work out? See, one of them said he'd saved about 500, another one said he'd saved about 5,000. It was quite competitive, by the way, for a Christian gathering. <coughs> and he said, well, I'll tell you, we used to want to go around the country, you see, and have these tent meetings and uh, baptisms, and they came down the sawdust trail. I said, well, how long did it last? Well, he said, about a year. We got them converted. But if we didn't come back within a year and do it over again, they were bad backsliders after a short time. And this is the problem. Under the exterior of the moment, under a great emotional appeal, under a very brilliant orator, the individual may be moved to some kind of a temporary improvement. <coughs> but, <it was coughs> but when it comes to crossing his natural interest, making him do things he really doesn't want to do, his religion gradually fades away. We have today alcoholism in the great Christian world, something that should never have existed. Narcotics. And we have narcotics very largely being manipulated and exchanged and handled by nominal Christian people. This isn't good. Why do we do these things? Because they're profitable. So little by little, we have crowded our ethics out of our lives. We have taken the attitude that success is the only valuable thing, and to it we must sacrifice all else. Now, there's another side to this coin also. We are sacrificing all that is best in us for a certain amount of temporal gain. We are sacrificing our divine birthright for a bowl of porridge. And when the time comes, what happens? We lie down quietly in the sod or are blown away by the wind, and all this compromise, all this subterfuge, all the happiness that, or unhappiness that we think we have caused, all of this fades away. There is nothing left. As it was said of John Taylor, the water poet, in our lives we write our careers on water, and uh, they vanish. So what is the result of all the compromises? just that we fold up and depart as we always have. But one difference, when we fold up and depart, we nearly always leave something behind us for someone else to pick up. 
We leave debris behind us. We leave misery. We leave uh, tragedy. We leave children. We leave children who are wrongly brought up. Business that is not properly or justly maintained. We leave false incentives and false ambitions. And we leave this terrible struggle for profit as uncured within our own selves. So the world gets a little worse after we go because we lived. When in reality, when each of us passes on, the world should have something good to remember us for. So we're going to have to recognize that all the compromising that we do in order to accomplish our own personal desires, all these things, all this compromise leads to nothing. It never has succeeded, never can. For all this great struggle of competitive materialism ends at the grave. And we take with us out of this life only what we brought in ourselves. So with this, it shouldn't be so difficult for the individual to say to himself, let's make this daily life a little happier for everyone. Let's try to do it right for a change. Let's uh, take the individuals whom we have ignored for one social reason or another and see if we can't patch up these differences. Let's get rid of three and four generation family grudges. And most of all, let us make sure we don't start new ones. Let us forgive all that we can of those who have injured us. If Christ says to us, forgive each other, this is the highest doctrine in the world. But it's pretty hard for the average individual uh, to forgive an un unpleasant relative or a, an unwieldy politician. Actually, the first impulse is to revenge. And it is revenge that has ruled the world for thousands of years and caused the wars, crimes, delinquencies, and miseries of the ages. Looking back over history, it is amazing how much beauty has been destroyed by selfishness, how much ambition has torn down, and how little it has gained. The tyrant who gathered a great fortune or became a ruler over men vanished away, for as one uh, philosopher rather wisely observed, no individual has ever been able to kill his own successor. That is something we can't do. We struggle for a while, try to do what we want to do, and then we go. And it would be a very good idea to try to make this going a little bit better for everything involved. How would it do to try for a moment to simply look for the right in the terms of the integrities that we can recognize? We have from the New Testament a great many wonderful thoughts. We have the great belief or realization of the inevitable friendship of mankind. The New Testament emphasizes friendship above brotherhood, strangely enough, because brothers can have a heck of a time. They can be at each other's throats all their lives and never speak to each other after they're ten years old. But friends, it's a little different. We may be unhappy if a false friend comes along, but friendship as a whole has more endurance and more possibility of development and gives us the privilege to pick those that we wish to have close to us rather than to depend upon alliances of blood alone. So friendship is very important. 
But in order to have a friend, you have to be a friend. And the having a friend is delightful, being a friend is a nuisance. And this type of thing is part of an immaturity that has been trained into us. A small child, two or three years old, doesn't seem to have any great difficulty in loving its mother, and she has no difficulty in loving it. She realizes the trust that the child has. She feels the tremendous responsibility of caring for that child. But as she gets older and the child gets older and the things change and break away, most of this noble nearness is lost. And each goes off into a way of their own. In a world in which love is not a dominant factor, Real love, apart from physical relationships, which are very impermanent, real love is rare. And it's not easy for a child to find an example or examples of individuals or societies or nations that really have sincere regards for each other. To find, when you go out into the world, that all the nice things you thought about are false is a great disillusionment. Years ago, when I was young and in my prime, about 12 years old, I went to Sunday school. It was a more or less of a harrowing experience, I'll admit. But it, it had its advantages. And one of the observations or occurrences was that we followed the journeys of St. Paul with red tacks on a blackboard. And we found all the places where he was shipwrecked or where anything happened to him. And we learned how he was treated here and treated there. And we found out how he preached in Athens in the uh, Acropolis. And also how he was shipwrecked on the island of Malta. All those things were part of a fascinating discussion that was very interesting. So I uh, listened then with more interest to the first and second Corinthians and found out some of the things that he had to say about life. How he definitely recommended that everybody forgive their enemies, how love suffers long and is kind, and how it is most important, and how faith, hope, and love are very vital, and the greatest of them is love. All this was very inspiring because we were having a little family difficulties at that time. So I thought I'd go home and take the glad tidings that the relatives who had been combating each other for about a hundred years would have an opportunity to understand the full implication of St. Paul's message. After I got home, I learned that they had taken on the full implication of my insubordination. And from that time on, we went on speaking terms for a long time. And the golden rule and things of that kind had no effect on the feuding relatives. They didn't care anything about what St. Paul said or what St. John said. And his question, if they'd said and believed anything, if God had spoken in person. Because they had unfinished business. There were still a few unpleasant things they could do while they were still in this world. Now, this is unfortunately too common. It may not be quite as outstanding as some of my examples, but the same principle follows. How many people who say, especially in mysticism and in the higher esoteric phases of religion, can they say that they have no prejudices? How, few pe how many people can 
listen to a news report without castigating someone whom they know nothing about? How many people are able to daily uh, live in harmony and in charity and accept the shortcomings of each other with a good grace? How many people, if they receive an unpleasant statement, can accept it without returning it? All these little daily things, the aggravations of life, are completely contrary to what we might call a good Christian existence. Now people will say they can't do it because they can't afford to. They cannot be right because they cannot afford to. But for the most part, the virtues that we need to cultivate for our own security do not in any way interfere with the normal relationships of life. They do not say that we cannot have friends or that we cannot pick them. They do not say that we must become paupers and go out with a begging bowl. <coughs> what they tell us is that we must live according to the Christian idea. <coughs> that we must live with love in our hearts, kindness in our manner and demean. That we must do things gently and lovingly and try in every way possible to return good for evil. <coughs> if we can do this, Many of our problems will solve themselves. Otherwise, they won't. And also, in the world, they will not solve themselves unless we solve them. <coughs> so we have now, on this Easter Sunday, a time of reflection, to settle down and think about things, to decide, if possible, a new birth of the Spirit in us, but the love in our own hearts will also arise from the darkness of doubt and futility, and that we will each of us, in one way or another, and as much as possible, proceed to build a career upon the Sermon on the Mount, that we shall definitely do these things which are now considered to be more or less ridiculous. If a man takes our coat, this Bible says we should give him our cloak also. This is not fashionable anymore as a doctrine. But somewhere behind it is a principle that no matter what other people do to us, we must try, in one way or another, to be as kindly to them as possible. If they come in need, even though we have not spoken to them for ten years, if we learn they are sick or desolate or deprived, we should go to them, regardless of whether we like them or not, because it is a duty from heaven that we shall help one another. And this helpfulness is not limited to the people we like. It is limited only by our own ability to grow. And I've known several cases where an individual stepping in in an emergency in a family which had forgotten him won back the whole family, and they became, became friendly on a basis of integrity that had never been known before. As long as we have these little problems, let's try to think as St. Francis de Assis thought. He was probably one of the greatest of the Christian mystics. And mysticism is based entirely upon the concept of man's internal experience of the love of God. The individual in whose heart mercy is, is dominant, who is by nature gentle, by disposition tolerant, 
and also adds to this a spirit of worship, a desire to truly know his God, try to obey the higher laws of life, and to serve his fellow creature as generously and lovingly as possible. This mystic begins to experience true love within himself. The love that St. Francis found extended far beyond even human relationships. He spoke of his little brothers, the animals and the beasts. He spoke about all the planets and all of the flowers growing in the fields. They were all his children. They were all his relatives. They were all part of his life. And in honor of him, now in many countries, uh, animals are baptized or blessed in the, in the course of Christian worship. And it was a good idea. It would be more blessed if more were blessed. Because actually, most of the things that we do badly, whether we know it or not, are hurting us. When we think we have outgrown something, or through a materialistic allegiance have become too sophisticated to pay any attention to simple things, we find ourselves in a very difficult situation. Actually, the blessing of the animals, and the birds, and the fishes, all of this is good, because it helps us to understand the sacredness of life and will help us perhaps not to profane it as we have in the past. In Japan, in the town, little town of Nara, there is the Sarasawa Pond, a little pond about three or four hundred feet across. And here, each day, children come with little bowls, glass bowls, with a goldfish in them. And the family is there, the relatives, the grandparents, the aunts, nieces, and relations in general, and very often the temple priest, who is also very much concerned in this important undertaking. And the little toddler, who is four or five years old, has his little glass bowl in his hands, walks to the edge of the pond and dips the bowl in the water and lets the fish escape. He has therefore liberated a fish. Now, in order to liberate the fish, he had to buy, earn the money to buy the fish. So he worked hard, and after a while, he was able to put together, maybe with friendly family help, the necessary means to buy a little fish about this long. As soon as he had it, a great sorrow came to him. Fish do not want to be in little bowls like that. Fish want to go back to the ocean from which they came, or to the water, or the streams, or the rivers. And so he couldn't be happy with the little fish, because he had made a prisoner of it. So there came the great day of resolution, and he and the family went to the side of the pond and returned the fish to the water. This was the perfect gift. This was the perfect pleasure that he had secured, not in having, but in releasing. Now this is a, a practice that has been practiced in those areas for thousands of years, and it involves several other creatures. Uh, when General Grant uh, Monument in Tokyo was built a number of years ago and dedicated uh, to General Grant, the dedication consisted of liberating birds. All the birds were set free and to honor this occasion. It was no question at all about serving them up for dinner. It was a question of releasing them back into the world to which they came. 
When the first American consul general came to Japan, uh, he demanded beef. At that time, the Japanese were vegetarian people. So it was a consternation. And, of course, everyone who had a cow or anything of that kind hid it immediately or sent it up into the mountains where it couldn't be found. But finally they got a renegade of some kind, backslider from their own beliefs, who sold them a cow. So the cow was properly slaughtered for the consul general, and uh, an international incident was prevented. Some, some years later, a monument was dedicated on the site where the cow was killed. And the beautiful statue of the cow is on top of it, stating the sorrowful circumstance that it had been martyred uh, for the service of a barbarian. And this was what it meant. Now, these are maybe a little extreme, you know. We don't want to go too far with this. <laughs> but the principle involved has something about it that is very beautiful. The principle of preserving. But the principle involved has something about it that is very beautiful. The principle of preserving, of taking care, of loving, of doing everything possible to protect life. In the older days, the Japanese people, when they wrote a letter or threw away some scrap paper, never threw away a piece of paper without, first of all, burying it. Because it had words on it. And these words might be very important words. You just didn't throw away words. You, if you didn't need them, you put them away where they would be permanently taken care of by nature. These things are sentimental and extreme. There's no question about it. But you can be on the other side of the situation and be so unsentimental that you gradually lower the integrity of your own heart. You're not thoughtful anymore. You're not kind anymore. You're perfectly satisfied to hurt anything you feel like hurting as long as it pleases you. This is not good. I was talking not long ago with a, with a nutritionist of considerable standing. I don't want to name anybody, but there was a prominent person. And they told me, they said, you know, that one of the greatest troubles of the American people at the present time is that they're eating far too much meat. They're going to pay for it. They're going to pay for these $5 steaks, and it's not going to be in terms of money. All of these tremendous overdoings of things, these catering to appetites at the expense of integrities, this useless waste of life that we have become adjusted to, is part of the cause of our troubles. Experiments in Scandinavia during and after World War II proved definitely that there was much more nutrition by you eating the grain the cow ate than it was to eat the meat of the cow afterwards. And the grain had none of the toxic consequences or by consequences that we are a little worried about. So somewhere beneath doing it right, there is also a permanent good. There is a realization of value. There is a protection of health. There is a protection of life. Now, it doesn't always follow that a bad disposition shortens one's years. I know several other aged people have done very well by nursing their grievances, as far as years are concerned. But the day they began to nurse them, they really died anyway, because they lived for nothing but to carry on the unpleasantnesses which they had made to appear important. But actually, health is better advanced 
by the by first and second Corinthians than by any other physical medical formula that can be set up. If you are kind, if you are gentle, if you are tolerant, if you are self-disciplined, if you uh, think through the things you do and give the same love to your health that you have given to some emotional pleasure, you will be better off also. Now, many people fall in love with themselves, it is said, but it's the wrong way. There is a way of doing it, however, that is constructive. One is to recognize that your body is a structure that needs tender guidance, constant care, thought, justice, integrity. It needs humor. It needs variation. It needs everything possible. And if you really want to love a body and keep it healthy, you'll treat it right. And you can gain just as much peace of mind by knowing that your body is getting the help that it needs. It's part of also the idea to live lovingly in all things, and in all things not too much, was the Platonic and Socratic statement. Now today we are looking all over the world for the answers to something. We know we're not getting there as we should, and we don't know what to do about it. I think that instead of trying to find out who is the noblest among them, leaders in all forms and walks of life should realize that whether it is in one sacred book or another sacred book, it is in all of them. Namely, that love is the answer to the solution of everything that arises from discord. If the individual can transcend self-interest, selfishness, if he will mature his own inner life, there won't be any more holy wars, which is one of the most ghastly con contradictions that there is in life. There will be no longer these terrible feuds. We will not have crime rampant as it is now. If people cared for each other, had an honest affection, and were able, therefore, to turn their activities into labors of mutual benefit, there's no reason why people getting along happily together cannot have a wonderful time through these years of life. Maybe they won't be so rich, maybe they won't be so powerful, but they will have knowledge of values that otherwise they could never have. And of course you can do this without actually proclaiming anything. It's not necessary to go out and wave a flag. It is simply necessary to begin to behave yourself. And in the course of time, you'll be surprised on how it counts. You'll learn a little bit at a time that when you are a friend, you will have friends. The people who begin to appreciate your integrity will give you an understanding which you cannot get any other way. So on this uh, Easter morning, I think we ought to very deeply appreciate the fact that to the Christian world, Jesus Christ is the embodiment of divine love. He is the embodiment of that great good which rests forever in the heart of eternity. He bears witness to the way of life in the house of dark places. He came to set a symbol upon us that we should obey the simple instruction of virtue that we all can know what peace is, 
and by becoming aware of the grandeur of it, we can help to share it. Someday we can walk out of this nation into another nation or around the world without a boundary, without papers, without spies, without espionage. These things are part of a stupidity that has afflicted mankind from the beginning. Why? Why did the human being always put the wrong foot forward? Well, one of the reasons was because he was selfish. Selfishness is perfectly willing to sacrifice almost anything else for the advancement of itself. Ambition has created more miseries uh, than almost all other forms of law-breaking. The unbridled uh, determination to achieve worldly accomplishment, fame, and distinction. The idea of marrying for money. The idea of nobly quoting and watching for opportunities to discredit someone else so that we can take their place. All this type is foolish. The wealthy families are not happy. And today we can see by the press the miseries they're in. No one can be happy because he has broken the rules. But very few people are strong enough to keep the rules. Now there's another side also to this problem, and that is how are we going to escape the pressures around us? A great many people have always decided the fight was too hard. So they have retired from the world. They have taken on sacred orders. They have departed into distant places. They have built hermitages on the tops of mountains. They have decided to renounce mankind because they can't live with it any longer. So they go off by themselves, and this again is a complete mistake. No individual can become more proficient in the realization of the divine plan for man. No one can become more proficient unless he is in there fighting. Fighting in a sense of living from day to day, keeping the faith, keeping the truth in the presence of adversity and animosities, staying with it. Because it is only by staying with it that we grow. It is only then we, when we are tempted to do wrong that our virtues are worth anything. To run away from temptation is not to be strong, it's to be very weak. But to stay where we are in the place where we are and take on the job the best we can has its rewards. Now a person is not expected to make a complete change of everything that they are. But we can, I think, do a great deal of good every day by trying in simple ways to cultivate a few constructive attitudes and relationships. One common thing we should all think about is to try and find how to bring children and parents into closer understanding how to find out the principles upon which mutual respect can be built. To do this may take quite a bit of thought, particularly if it has been delayed until wrong foundations are deeply laid. But anywhere around us where there is an animosity, an antagonism, wherever there's a prejudice or conceit, we can go to work on it. We can determine to the best of our ability that we are going to become truly religious people. For as we find in the Bible, if you love me, keep my commandments. 
<coughs> Many people say they love God or love Christ, but they do not keep the commandments. Now, if these commandments were a bunch of superstitions, as lots of people would like to think they are, it would all be different. But there, no one has ever proven that the commandments as given by Jesus are superstitions. No one has ever been able to prove that the world can gain anything by breaking them. But there are many ways of proving beyond doubt that we can gain tremendously by keeping them. Whether they were devised by some mortal in ancient times, or whether they came directly from heaven is not important. They are the basis of a conduct by which we can survive. They are the basis of relationships which are necessary to our own well-being. <coughs> Therefore, they are worth thinking about. We know that we can, with effort, make changes in ourselves. So, uh, let us think now, not of what heaven can do for us, but what we can do to advance truth in our own lives. That <coughs> advance beauty and integrity. Advance common affection and regard. Do the, know the neighbors. Know the friends. Try to understand people in trouble. And if there is spare time, nothing to do, don't waste it. Try to use it for the common good. Many people today would be far happier and wiser and better if they'd cut down the television program and donate time and energy to constructive philanthropies. This business of constantly pleasing ourselves, thoughtless of the effect of others, or by simply believing that we give a dollar, that takes care of everything. The, giver, the gift without the giver is bad. The entire problem of life is to gradually release, in a sense, the Christ quality through ourselves. The Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Christian principles being lived by each of us in our daily life. These, when they flow from us, become virtually a second coming. These principles coming forth from us return the Christ power to the world and return to man the peace and tranquility of inner security. Therefore, it is very important to try to find some way the presence of God, to practice the presence of God, to live every day not in a smug theological way. We don't even have to think of it that way. Instead of thinking of it's being going to make us theologians, let us just say it's going to make us better parents, better husbands and wives, and better citizens of the community. We don't have to hang any theological tassels on it. All we have to say is that it's common sense, and that common sense just happens to correspond constructively with the way of God. Because after all, we are part of a universe that is run by common sense, and we are the weak spots in the link. And we have to do something to take care of this. After all, this is not a making a theologian out of us simply because we're honest. It simply makes a decent human being out of us. And out of the cultivation of those gentle virtues which make possible true love, 
we are also keeping the tr keeping faith with the great principles of integrity uh, which support our world. It is very important, therefore, that we do find out a little more about love. The Neoplatonists of Alexandria also developed a code or a creed of how to understand love. They had all kinds of love listed and tried to understand it. And they made a kind of an order out of it, a sort of a scale. And then at the top of the scale, they put love of God. This being the supreme adoration, the highest possible attitude of human consciousness toward reality. This was a, a tremendous upsurge of love, of veneration, of adoration to that eternal power upon which we are all dependent for our existence. The one power that is the parent of all that lives and has always been and always will be the benevolent parent except that we do not recognize or keep the rules of that benevolence. The second on the line of uh, love was veneration for the saints and sages for those who by one power or another had dedicated their lives to the instruction of their fellow men, who had unselfishly taught the very truths and principles that are essential. Some of these were persecuted, some of them were martyred, but they are the heroes of the world, the greatest of all human beings. Therefore, we have a proper reason to respect them, to admire them, to venerate them, and to consider with gratitude their presence in our world. Therefore, another atom, a factor in uh, love is gratitude. The ungrateful lover is in a bad way. The third level, of course, was a, a little different type of thing, but stop of the same thing. And that is the love that we bestow upon all kinds of things in nature. Uh, the love we have for the sky and the earth that enables to go out as uh, Lao Tse did in China and sit under a tree on bank of a little river and there commune with the infinite. The love that steps out, steps out of itself uh, to embrace all these natural things. Gratitude for the wonderful privileges of existence. Gratitude for the sunsets and the sunrise. Gratitudes for the fecundity of the earth, for all the benefits we enjoy. This is a gratitude which makes us always in debt to the universe to which we belong. A debt which we must pay by service, by integrity, by idealism. Now the next uh, level of, the, of uh, affections dealt with more or less political subjects. The love of humanity comes first. The fact that basically, regardless of how impossible they are, we love them all. There is a great love underneath. We do not excuse the spoilage, but we seek under it for those little human beings who are suffering from their own mistakes, often without knowing why, often without understanding the very destiny that they have brought upon themselves. We love them all, we want to help them, and we wish them well. The next one, of course, is one more common to us, the love of nation or race. 
the, the, the great tree to which we personally belong, the branch of life which is our own. We have a certain love for our own culture, our own arts, our own sciences, our own heroes. We believe in the integrity of our own peoples, and there is a certain inevitable uh, veneration for the background of our own personal lives, so that that becomes the second. The next one is the natural love for family and all that it represents. There, uh, we recognize the integrity of the pattern we have set up and will do everything possible to make it a success. And to make it a success, we must honestly love the members of that family and place their happiness, security, and well-being above the gratification of our own appetites. We can never do anything for our own benefit that is hurtful to another if we love them. If we can perform the hurtful act, it is because we do not love. Then there is also the love of other kingdoms in nature, of birds and beasts and flowers. There is love of beauty, love of virtue, love of integrity, uh, love of all the different levels of human achievement. There's love of music, the love of the dance, every ex constructive expression of human attitudes or atti attitudes can be interpreted as causes of joy, causes of happiness, expressions which we can interpret in terms of love. So, so gradually must come to the final uh, decision that love must finally love the beautiful. Up to a certain point it may not appear that way, but the love will leave nothing incomplete. It must carry on and make everything beautiful everything filled with goodness. Love takes the imperfect and inspires it to greater perfections, but never by means of positive or intolerant indoctrinations. The actual fact is, as the poets have found long ago, that there is no real need, really, for a special education in uh, selecting objects for devotion. The only thing is to relax away from what is not right. You can sit quietly by the side of a mountain or stream, and you can, in that quietude, reconstruct the universe. You can restore your own relationships with it. You can become aware of the transcendent beauty of life as life. All of the false things can fall away. And in quietude and silence, you can learn to recognize the infinite benediction and blessedness of the divine plan. Also in the quietude of your own home, in the silence and sympathies of the day, you can quietly contemplate the labors of love. <coughs> you can realize how as gradually you can transmute the antagonisms that have nursed, you've nursed through the years. You can love again things that you have forgotten or have renounced because of your own misunderstandings. So out of it all comes the, Chris, the uh, Christian story. <coughs> the story of love that was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we knew it not. And we persecuted it and we allowed it to perish 
rather than to take over our lives and give us a share of life everlasting. Today we are again persecuting it. We are again failing. This time not really because we can't do better, but because the pressures of diversified privileges make it a little easier to be thoughtless of others and seek our own advantage. As we do this, however, the momentum of disaster builds up. We are in more and more trouble every day, and we do not know why we are in this trouble. We only know that the crime record is way up. We only know that delinquency is more prevalent, that alcoholism is becoming a greater curse, that drug addiction is also on the gain among human beings. And most of those who are involved either as sufferers or distributors of death have read the Bible or know about it. They know the Christian virtues. They know what the word honesty means. But for some unknown reason, they don't practice what they claim to accept. Why then should we not realize that unless the individual begins to work for a cause that is worthwhile, that he cannot make much of a contribution to life as it is. It is not possible for the average individual to turn around and change the course of politics or to get rid of the different difficulties in cultural strata. But each of us can do a little job right at home. Each of us can finally decide that we will have peace in our intimate circles of acquaintances, that we will live together in peace, not because it is a great effort, not because we're going to frustrate our every instinct and become hopeless neurotics because we try to be peaceful, but because peace is the natural state of the human soul. Peace within the individual is the secret of security in the outer part of him. If his inner life is deformed by all kinds of antagonisms, antipathies, and appetites, he cannot be well, he cannot be happy, he cannot think clearly, he cannot do a good day's work, and he can't keep a job. All of these things work together to the simple recognition that blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. The great blessings of life come to those who weigh and carefully consider the quiet acceptance of the Christ principle, of the continuous effort not only to be Christ-like, which means to be Christian, but also to realize that there is a little Christ in each of us that can also go out and reach to those who are a little more needy even than ourselves. The life of Christ is a life of unselfish service, of dedication to principles, and of the gradual uniting of all differences and all antagonisms. The life of Christ is a life of peace in the light of God. It is man finally making peace with the universe to which he belongs a peace that will bring him in safety through the orbits of the stars and the planets and out into space. Everywhere in space there is great peace, great silence, great and eternal order. Everywhere in the smallest things there are mathematical sequences. There is order, 
discipline, and law. And the greatest of all the laws is the law of love. For it is this law by which all things are transformed. It is the great alchemical transformer. It is the mystery of the elixir of life and the powder of uh, projection. For love takes the commonplace and transforms it into precious metal. It takes the common occurrence and the common experience and makes it sacred. It takes the daily life, which apparently is mediocre, and makes it a brilliant and marvelous experience of the spirit. Wherever love comes, it brings with it life. When it departs, life goes with it. So in these difficult times, love must be interpreted, not in terms of personal satisfaction or emotional success, not in terms of passion, not in terms of anger, not in terms of lust, but in terms of unselfish dedication to the good of others. Any other form of love is in vain. But if this first dedication is given, then all other forms of affection are ennobled, made more beautiful, made greater, and more necessary to our daily lives. It is up to each individual, therefore, uh, to try to do something to make himself stronger and wiser and better. So, I think the transmuting power, the wonderful transmutation of love is something that we should all really think about. The alchemists were supposed to be in search of the elixir of life. And it is probably true that a true love bringing with it discipline and proper ordering of life can extend years tremendously. Another thing, an individual can live longer if he is not thinking about himself. If he's at a job that is important to him, he will live till it is finished. Everything points to the dedication away from self, away from personal satisfactions, and certainly away from catering to the weaknesses of human nature. It will not be possible to correct all these weaknesses at once, or maybe for a long time, but we can start a little. We can plant the seed of piety, the mustard seed of the scriptural parable. And by planting this mustard seed, it will grow into a great tree. And the individual who plants within himself the seed of devotion, who really allows love to become part of his life, if he allows this power that is all forever knocking at the door to come in, and he finds in his own heart a little germ of love, a little seed of a greater and more beautiful relationship with life, he can build it until it becomes a magnificent part of his complete personality. Also, there is every reason to assume, from what we know, that he can take this with him, that when he goes into the other life beyond, the love that he has here will continue to lead and guide him. For the person who loves God, loves nature, loves his fellow man, loves his world, and respects himself. There is very little problem of purgatory or any other unpleasant post-worldly condition. If the person has lived a comparatively constructive life and has done the best they could to make his life useful rather than so-called successful in terms of wealth, if he is living the principles, he can face the future 
with just as much peace of heart and soul. For the love that he has used in this world will go to with him. And as Walt Whitman tells us in one of his poems, that actually love loves death, and by so doing it has a victory over it forever. That death itself can be loved because of the tremendous opportunities it confers but most people only fear it so everywhere the uh, virtue is important your Indian mystics and sages also were very much indebted to the love principle for their wisdom they used it largely in their meditative and contemplative exercises one of the things that they did was to try to create the transcendent being within themselves knowing what they are and what they do in daily life they chose to meditate upon the fact with that within themselves is another being a being which they can visualize that they can create by visualization that they can actually put together by their own thoughts and their own de dedications they can visualize inwardly a beautiful transcendent being which is themselves that this transcendent being is godlike in all its parts because it is God that this transcendent being lives only to do good to achieve all that is possible for the good of mankind and that the message of this trans be transcendent being is don't think about yourself don't try to be good don't try to be wise rather uh, try to love and to serve and to be grateful and gradually the transcendent being takes over and the individual finds that this soul power within himself which is now locked within him can become the ruler of his life and when soul takes victory over matter this you have the beginning of immortality all the good works of man have to be blessed by the simple fact that man has kept faith that he has kept the principles of religion that he has used them in daily construction of worldly problems, the daily in interpretation of the commonplace, but in so doing has continued to build within himself the over-self, that is mysterious and wonderful power, which is the power of soul over body. This type of realization is really the height of Christianity. It was the attitude of the early Christian mystics. And there were mystics and mystery schools and systems in Christianity that are very little understood. But in all of them, all Christianity in its beginnings was consummated by the personal experience of Christ. <coughs> the believer had to achieve that calmness, that quietude, that peace, that true spirit of reverence, that wonderful acceptance of the divine will and that became the basis of the mystical experience and the mystical experience was the only definition of love that we have ever been able to formulate that had much meaning this it was the mere fact that the individual suddenly felt himself picked up into a marvelous union in which he became again like the small babe who was perfectly happy, perfectly confident, at peace, and completely strong, held in the arms of its mother. That there was no, uh, no arbitrary motives, 
no ulterior thoughts. The little child reached out its hands in pure and simple love. And with a strange feeling, intuitive, that this love would be returned. And this is the, what mysticism really was. It was the child heart in man reaching out to the eternal parent with complete certainty that that parent can never fail. This is the type of thing that is, we call childlike, but it is probably far more mature than anything we know. And at this time, we all need to find some source of good. And the source of good can be a dedication. It can be a determination to come a little nearer to the mystery of love by weeding out, one by one, attitudes that are not loving, attitudes that are not kind, attitudes that are not beautiful. If we can do these things, we not only fulfill our destiny, but we are Christians. And until this happens, we are somewhere on the outside looking through the bars at something that we have forbidden ourselves the right to experience. So on this occasion of Easter, as a part of our divine year, so to say, we have a new birth of the Spirit in ourselves. We have the resurrection and the proof, the eternal proof, that there is in man the power to redeem him. And that power to redeem man in man is God. And that this power is in all of us. And when we are tired of being sick, tired of being miserable, tired of being cruel, we have always the perfect right to express through ourselves the healing grace of God. We can be agents of the release of the divine through our own natures. This is something we should all work toward. We won't all make it right away. But we can all try. And the first effort will be just a little more peace, a little better understanding, more friendship, less worry, less fear, and most of all, a greater sense of belonging to a divine plan by which we were fashioned, by which we will be perfected, and that we are beginning to walk along the road that leads back to the divinity from which we came. If we keep these thoughts in mind, we will not only be good Christians, and better Christians at least, but also we will be better people, just better human beings, better able to solve the very pressing material problems of existence. For the victory of spirit over matter is the victory of solution over problem. And the, the victory of soul over body is the vict victory of truth over error. These things can be worked for, and if they work with them carefully, we will be well rewarded. In the meantime, have a happy Easter. Uh, I'd like to announce at this time that uh, we will have a memorial service. Okay, here we are. We are back. That was an incredible, incredible lecture by the one and only Manly P. Hall. Complete dissertation on the nature of love. And I just want to point out, because that episode was recorded, it sounded like, on Easter, it did kind of have a Christian theme. Manly P. Hall was a comparative religion philosophical person. 
he didn't subscribe to any one religion, though it did seem to lean heavily towards Christianity in how he was presenting the information. Just wanted to put it out there that he's a universal humanist. He, he loves spirituality. He loves all positive information, all cu- cultures, all around the world and through history. So much to unpack from that incredible lecture. He just really puts an extreme amount of information into everything that he says. And, you know, I wasn't really going to do a lecture episode. I just did a lecture episode prior to the 2021 predictions episode, which if you listen to that and happen to take her advice on the cryptocurrency, the one that she chose went up 50-60% at the time of this episode. And it's Ethereum, I believe it's pronounced. But I just did a lecture episode. This wasn't going to be a lecture episode. But it seems like uh, humanity needs a lecture like this right now. <laughs> what do you think, Brett? Indeed, sometimes we all need a little lecture. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> wow, that was... Um how does he put so much into such a short amount of time? Well, supposedly he had a photographic memory. Apparently That's really so. how he was able to do that so efficiently. Yeah. You know, one thing that I really loved that he said is love protects us. And I think that's something to really carry in this time. I think a lot of people are in all of this, you know, anger and fear and upsetment and polarization it i mean there's it, there's really a lot of fear underneath it all people are afraid of what's going to happen and what's it going to be like and and all these things and love protects us and the more we can love the more we can give love the more we can be loved the more we can act out of love the more we can love every single human and recognize them as a light being made out of love that in itself protects us and brings us to you know, a different timeline, a different dimension, a different, you know, potential pathway when we choose love. Yeah, I, I loved how he said that the law of love is the greatest of all loves. And I definitely agree with that. I mean, the universe is based on laws. There's spiritual laws, physical laws, all different kinds of laws. Definitely. Love being the greatest law of all. And that's and common sense. <laughs> I love that. He's like, you know, common sense just happens to correspond with the word of God, you know, like, wow, look at that. But here's the thing, you know, he brought up ancient Egypt and Akhenaten, the husband of Nefertiti, and how he was this really enlightened leader of Egypt at the time, a pharaoh. Mm-hmm. And he viewed his people that he led at the time as his family, an extension of his family. And Manly P. Hall went as far as to say he was one of the first enlightened beings that we know of. And really, if you read between the lines, you see that the foundation of enlightenment is universal love. So the foundation of enlightenment is the law of love. The greatest of all loves turns out to be the foundation of enlightenment. Greatest of all laws, excuse me. (laughs) Absolutely. The great alchemical transformer. Is that something you wrote down? That's something that he said, yes. Love is the great alchemical transformer that takes the common and makes it sacred. You know, a lot of the things he talked about 
though it was recorded years ago, it's a very rare recording. It seems to be very present and very reflective of what's going on yeah, in today's very world. Relevant. There, he talked about politics and how people, but, uh, you know, kind of get into these polarities of judgment and aggression and anger. But it seems like that's been something that's been going on since his time and probably before and all the way back to H. Rome, as long as we've had conflicts based on cultural, political situations mm-hmm. as humans. But it's all seemed just really relevant to now and what's going on, not just here in America, but all over the world in various countries. You could say just the geopolitical atmosphere, I guess, is what we're feeling right now, this intensity. Which is why I felt it was so necessary to inject this love information, this love (laughs) frequency into the consciousness of the many listeners of Midnight on Earth and hopefully the new ones that come back to this episode later. I notice in my stats that people go back and listen to the old episodes. New people come on board and they're going back and listening to the older episodes. So they get all this information eventually. Definitely. Um, yeah. Play, uh, here's another thing that he said. Um, just talking about furthering. What can we do to advance heaven? Heaven on Earth, you talk about that a lot. Um, and he talks about placing, always being in the, the frame of mind of placing something bigger than yourself in the foreground of your life and how that changes your perspective, how that changes, you know, the way you walk this earth and to have, you know, the gratitude you have for what's here and sort of that reciprocity of service. Like the your beauty that you see in the world and that you receive in the world then you give back by your service of returning that love and you know building upon that it's all common sense (laughs) it's universal law it's universal spiritual law it's embedded into the dna of our spirit not really our dna but just the core structure i'm using that as a term the core structure of our energetic being is this knowledge of love and behavior and how you're supposed to act i feel like i want to cough you know manly pihan and a little cough oh man i, I just cough. wanted to get him a chest and lung tincture so bad uh, i was like oh man vi- i got it i've got a tincture for you a vital force <laughs> herbs chest and lung tincture absolutely i manly pihan if i could go back in time and just walk up to your podium and hand you that you know just a little, that's okay that tickle in his throat he <laughs> He made it work out. He kept going many years after that. I love how he's like, I've got a terrible flu. All right, let's get Back down to, to work. business. Back to work. He did a <laughs> weekly series, kind of like Midnight on Earth. Kinda but you know, like. vitalforceherbs.com is where you can get Bryn's <laughs> herbs if you're interested. She has an incredible line of organic crystal infused herbs. She's so gracious to listen to this podcast with us and listen to this lecture. And it was a pre-podcast. Listen to this lecture with us on this podcast. So I just want to shout out her incredible product line, vitalforceherbs.com. No problem. Incredible stuff. And, of course, I got to shout out Manly P. Hall's organization, which is still up and running, It's though it is scaled back considerably. The Philosophical Research Society, prs.org. You can go to their website, check out, what they're about. If you like what Manly P. Hall is saying, if you feel it resonates with you, because I absolutely love Manly P. Hall. I feel like if I knew him, we'd be best friends. I feel like he's very, so similar in frequency to me that I would just be like 
you know, the pupil, he would be the mentor. I would just be like, you know, I would be Luke Skywalker. He would be Yoda. Right. <laughs> if we use the star Wars analogy, <laughs> that that's what I would feel like if we were in the same time stream at the same time, I probably would just, would, maybe I just would have annoyed him. Be gone with you. I don't know if he talks like that. <laughs> but anyways, in order to really evolve, we have to integrate this love. We have to do better. We're human beings. We're growing. We're learning. We listen to lectures like this in order to get information we may have been deficient in. But now we got the information. Now we can adapt it. You notice at the beginning of the episode, he talked about, or excuse me, we talked about the Ten Commandments. And I just brought that up to kind of bring context to Jesus' 11th commandment. Okay, he brought that up too. So I just want to bring up one more thing before we go. I just want to talk to you about a little idea. It's called the 12th commandment. And this is something that I conceived when I was pitching workshops, festivals, music festivals around the country that were focused on enlightenment and spiritual growth and personal development. So I created this concept. It's called the 12th commandment. And I was using that as a springboard to do these workshops and these lectures in order to uh, help enlighten people, help move us all forward. So I just want to tell you what the 12th commandment is because you've probably never heard it before. You're going to hear it for the first time. It may not be the official 12th commandment, like the one you might chisel in stone, but hey, I'm just going to say it is for now. And if there's an issue, there's a problem, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure God will let me know. <laughs> so here it is, the 12th commandment. Create heaven on earth. So you got the other 10. You got the 11th commandment, love each other. Here's the 12th commandment, create heaven on earth. So if we can adapt that and really do that and, and obey the other commandments like he's talking about, it's not that bad. It's just like, don't cheat on your partner. Don't murder. Don't lie. Don't covet, you know, honor your parents. Like pretty, pretty, uh, Common sense stuff. Right? I would say. <laughs> Just focus your divine energy on God. Like, don't worry about the sub deities as much. Don't worry about, I mean, you can honor and respect these deities, these various cultures and what they symbolize. They're all archetypes. Though. They're all archetypes, but you're just putting your spiritual energies through the filter of the ultimate creator. Just the creator. Whatever that is. The great mystery. You don't need any middlemen. I think that was the point of that commandment. So the 12th commandment, create heaven on earth. I'm going to leave you with that. And that's and what Manly P. Hall said too. Like, what can we do? What can you do to advance heaven? Which would be mm. now while you're living. Right. Right here. Right now. And Bryn. Because when you leave. Well, you what want, happens? Well, do you want the world to be better or worse? He was oh, talking yeah, about yes. people like the word world is worse off because they were born. Like, do you want that to be you? No, no, no of no. course not. I want the world when I'm gone to feel the impression of increase, like the world gained because I was here. That's, That's you do goal. that. You do that on a microcosmic level and a macrocosmic level. So Bryn, do you have any final words before we go? We're creeping into the two hour mark. It's a <laughs> extended podcast. Extended. We, we don't have any format, but you know, they usually go about an hour and a half. So uh, just a quick note on what you said earlier about getting back up on the horse and forgiveness that you are human and you will make mistakes and you will mess up and you will forget and then you forgive yourself 
and you get back up on the horse and you find your service and your goals and you carry the torch. Yep, and you get back to work. All right, people. We'll see you next week. Midnight on Earth. Hey, Jake, thanks for having me. Hey, thanks, Britt.